0: Bring in show
1: music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on Squawk Pod. Markets in turmoil, an enormous hit for stocks, and it's all to do with inflation. Everything costs more. And a New York Times investigation on lawmakers' stock trading. The journalist digging into it all, Kate Kelly.
2: Two thirds of Americans polled on this issue want to see literal bans on individual stock trading.
1: And you can see why.
2: If you're on the Armed Services Committee and you're trading Raytheon and Northrop Grumman, that might reasonably be seen to be a potential conflict because you could be in possession of non-public information occasionally or even regularly.
1: Those stories, plus unpacking the Twitter whistleblower testimony, investing giant SoftBank looking to expand, and mortgage demand is inching down. Shelter
3: inflation. Shelter inflation.
1: It's Wednesday, September 14th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one.
4: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and we are live at the NASDAQ market site this morning.
1: First up today, we're unpacking Tuesday's sharp sell-off on Wall Street, and it was really sharp as in the worst day for the indices since June of 2020. That was an earlier chapter of the pandemic. The Dow fell 1,200 points. The Nasdaq alone fell over 5% in just one session. And it's all to do with the I word, inflation. Before the markets began their Tuesday tumble, the U.S. government released data on August price inflation, and it wasn't good.
0: PPI headline, final demand up 8.7%, one-tenth lighter than expectations. It was
1: a surprise to many investors. B of A Securities' Savita Subramanian joined us on Squawk Box yesterday to weigh in on the long impact of inflation on the U.S. equity markets. But
2: it might take a while to get back down to what we would expect to be a normal inflationary environment. And
5: along that way, I think the worst thing to own is the S&P 500 wholesale. I think there are lots of other better places to be um, in an environment where, you know, we're we're in a very different environment than the last 10 years where the S&P 500 crushed it every okay, year. So, Sevilla, so, those are some fighting words, because there's a lot of people, as you know, including Warren Buffett, who've said to the to the public, look, if you're going to do anything, you know, buy the S&P 500, hold it and, do, and, and just watch, watch and wait. You're saying this is a terrible idea at the moment. I think that if you've got a 10-year time horizon, hold the S&P 500 and watch and wait. Returns are probably going to be, you know, in that mid-single digits for the next 10 years, and you can clip a coupon from dividend yield. But if you're thinking about what's going to happen between now and, let's say, the next 12 months, I don't think the bottom is in.
1: President Biden answered reporters' questions about the higher reading of the Consumer Price Index from his voting site in Delaware. The state held its primary yesterday.
5: The stock market doesn't necessarily reflect the state of the economy, as you well know. And the economy is still strong. Unemployment's low, jobs are up, manufacturing's good, so I think it's. Uh, I think we're gonna be fine. Are
6: you worried about the inflation number, though, sir?
5: No, I'm not, because we're talking about one-tenth of 1%, one and, you know, anyway, thank you.
1: This was after the White House threw a party on the South Lawn for the Inflation Reduction Act passage, with a performance by James Taylor.
5: Welcome to the White House,
3: everybody.
1: Wall Street wonders whether the stubbornly high inflation and the volatile markets could push the Federal Reserve to be even more aggressive in their next interest rate decision. The Fed is due to meet next week. As a result, bank stocks took a hit, but it was tech that led the entire markets down its slide.
3: Yeah, 5% in the Nasdaq is, is very uh, painful, and. It, the, the VIX still didn't get to 28 yesterday. Right. It got 27 and change. It, back in, the, in June, it was 35 or so, but it just scares me now if people are right about re- returning to 35 on the VIX. I don't know what that looks like on the averages, but now we're back. But I don't
5: know if we're systemic
3: yet. Most of this is like mechanical trading. Oh, McKenna, I don't know about that. I, I thought you meant whether the, no, inflation, but this goes to the, whether the inflation was systemic.
4: I, I think this oh, makes the, people no, start. No, that
3: part, that piece of it's did, systemic, did but, but I think it was always systemic. 13.5%. And,
4: and one question I have, I don't know if Steve Leesman is going to be on with us later or not, but it, in terms of trying to figure out housing costs, because housing, um, housing costs went up and for, for rents, especially, were higher. Um, but if you start looking at housing prices, how do you factor mortgage prices into that? Because if you looked at the mortgage yesterday, the 32year mortgage, it jumped again. Right. Uh, you're talking about the highest level we've seen that that should about actually
5: years that should, over time, and this is I think we were talking about it yesterday because that's the instrument that the Fed actually has, should help rent, but it will take a while to actually filter into the system, meaning, if prices of homes do come down yeah, if the
4: price of home comes down but you're still paying a higher mortgage rate well, and this becomes affordability this
5: becomes the conundrum. but if you actually think that three or four months from now things are really going to come down which i think people think they will then you would think that that might it's not that rents are going to somehow go down they're just not going to continue to go up yeah
4: it's just i i i Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, rent at that point maybe looks like a better option than trying to get a mortgage at but six you and, look and a half a percent plus. Down and
3: it, the whole hard landing uh, thesis is back on the table now. They may go a full point. And, and speaking of things filtering through over a period of months, I think we now know that just prices at the pump don't really tell you everything about the entire mm-hmm. economy and what how energy prices sort of filter through to, to everything, even even food and. So just having lower prices at the pump, all the all the, you know, everything costs more because of of what it costs to do things with energy. And and we're still I think we're still seeing that.
4: We didn't look at some of the
3: yields. But let's talk about some yields. Absolutely. Uh, Yesterday's uh, sell off was broad. Uh,
5: All 30 stocks closed in the red. All the S&P 500 sectors finished lower. The biggest loser uh, was communication services dropping 5.6 percent in its worst day since February. The big drags. Uh, or tech names like netflix and meta netflix tumbling seven point eight percent meta platforms plunging nine point four percent in the six largest u.s. tech companies losing more than five hundred billion dollars in value yesterday now the invesco uh, qqq etf dropping five point five percent its worst day since march twenty twenty the etfs tracking the hundred most highly uh, valued non-financial companies listed on nasdaq top ten holdings include apple microsoft amazon alphabet meta and NVIDIA, check out the market cap losses because you have Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet all down nearly 6% yesterday. Apple plunging more than 7%. Meta and NVIDIA down more than 9% each. The two-year yield hitting its highest level since, looks like 2007, 10-year uh, at its highest level since June. Yeah. Talk about inflation. Here's an example of what's happening. Amazon planning to invest $450 million effectively uh, for pay and benefits. Uh, to help their delivery drivers, this for the holidays. We're going to Diana. Oh, we're going to Diana? Did
3: I did 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 I <laughs> I go sideways? The, the, the headlines are, are pretty compelling. I can understand your... Uh, the
5: reason I wanted to talk about oh, well, this They're is
3: unbelievable. You think they're, about the holidays coming that's up
5: what I mean. and the fact that they're going to have to actually spend all of this new money yeah. in a way that they weren't planning on, I imagine, beforehand. That also includes, we should say, 401Ks in education. So these are additional costs that get sort of pass through the system and we keep
3: talking about how prices are going up this is one of those examples definitely and shelter inflation shelter inflation and diana's an expert we just got the latest numbers on weekly mortgage demand every data point now diana suddenly I don't know your stature and your importance uh, is growing uh, on a daily basis I'm not kidding
7: well there's a plus side right (laughs) you want to talk mortgage demand let's talk mortgage demand it just It keeps going down as mortgage rates go up. Uh, Total application volume dropped 1.2% last week compared with the previous week, and that's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association's Seasonally Adjusted Index. That did include an adjustment, though, for the Labor Day holiday. The average rate on the 30-year fixed for conforming loan balances increased to 6.01% from 5.94%. That's for loans with 20% down. And that was the first time this particular weekly average crossed over 6% since 2008, although it did cross higher for a few days in June on another index. Now, as a result, refi demand fell another 4% for the week and was 83% lower than the same week one year ago. With rates above 6%, only about 452,000 borrowers could benefit from a refinance, according to Black Knight. That is the lowest number on record. Mortgage applications to buy a home eked out a gain of 0.2% for the week, but were 29% lower than the same week one year ago. Rates, of course, shot even higher yesterday as we got that hot CPI number. A separate read from Mortgage News Daily put the 30-year fixed yesterday at 628 percent. Joe?
3: When we do LEIs, um, is this in it, Diana, or it doesn't seem like these don't, none of this, your purview, seem like leading indicator. How long does it take for us to see the effect of this where, where we could actually see some welcome news on inflation from what you talk about all the time?
7: Six months? Well, from housing coming down. Look, we're starting to see home prices come down. Now, that doesn't exactly correlate with inflation. The one part of the housing market that we're seeing having an impact from inflation is actually rents. And apartment rents we saw for the first time come down from June to July. And that's because people are paying so much for everything else that they can't pay so much for rent. Landlords are losing their pricing power. They're losing tenants. And so they're having to, you know, rents are still up, but they're at much more normal increases than the crazy five. Right. times what's normal that we've been seeing in the past year so that part of the housing market is as for home prices that's going to take a while because we always talk about that supply and demand issue right
3: right it's just you know some of the in- inflation seems stubborn some of it seems like it can shift on a dime but it's a whole shelter inflation thing and then labor inflation you know that some of these things just seem like which goes more, into the
7: home builders yeah
3: yeah more ingrained right. and that's and why the
7: builders can't lower prices
3: exactly all right diana uh thank you
6: This meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee will come to order. Last month this individual released a whistleblower disclosure detailing a number of alarming allegations about Twitter's security practices. Chairman Durbin,
5: Ranking Member Grassley, members of the committee, I appear before you today to answer questions about information I submitted and written disclosures about cybersecurity
3: concerns I observed while working at Twitter. Let's get to, uh, to Washington where Eamon Javers says the big headlines from the Twitter whistleblower testifying
0: before Congress. Eamon, lay them on us. Yeah, good morning, Joe. Uh, Look, Peter Zatko is a longtime security researcher who goes by the nickname Mudge in the hacker community. He blasted Twitter yesterday on Capitol Hill for a near total failure to take basic security precautions with user data. Here's what he said. Twitter leadership is misleading the public, lawmakers regulators,
5: and even its own board of directors. What I discovered when I joined Twitter was that this enormously influential company was over a decade behind industry security standards. The company's
0: cybersecurity failures make it vulnerable to exploitation, causing real harm to real people. But Twitter responded sharply to his allegations after the hearing, saying, quote, Today's hearing only confirms that Mr. Zatko's allegations are riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies. Zatko painted a picture of a company that is riddled with foreign intelligence agents stealing information for their governments. He said there was at least one agent working for China on the Twitter payroll, and India had agents at the company, too. Now, that's alarming because Zatko also alleged that Twitter allows thousands of employees open access to behind-the-scenes Twitter data and doesn't have good systems to track who's accessing what, even if they're trying to get into the accounts of the very senators who were sitting on the committee yesterday. Now, all of this comes, as you guys know, as Elon Musk has been using the whistleblower's complaint as ammunition in his own battle to get out of buying the troubled social media media company. A judge ruled last week that Musk can include information from Zatko in the trial over his acquisition effort. That trial is set to begin in October. Twitter shareholders on Tuesday voted to approve the deal in an effort to force Musk to complete the acquisition. One other alarming allegation that Zacco made, guys, is that regulators at the Federal Trade Commission, in his words, are in over their heads and they just don't have resources to take on the tech giants. And as a result, he said, they're allowing the big tech companies to simply grade their own homework, as he puts it. Guys, that's a great
3: um, it's a great analogy. The the W- would you assume that, that government agencies would really have the the not only the staffing but just the the expertise? These are very sophisticated companies that that we're talking about, even. That's
0: probably not a big surprise. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the long term, uh, you know, the, the term that we've used for years is regulatory capture, right? When a regulatory agency is sort of captured by the industry that it regulates, the people go back and forth. There's a yeah. the revolving door. Everybody on the regulatory that side too. knows there's more money to be made on the industry side. You, know, you get that. But in this case, just the sheer scale and size and the pace of these tech companies is so overwhelming compared to what government bureaucracy yeah. can do. They just can't innovate and change as fast and keep up as fast as what the tech companies are doing.
3: And a moving target on, on what's private and what's not and what we can really expect in, in terms of private. What we give up for what we get In you know, what were you expecting yep. that, that they weren't going to. So I, we, that, that keeps moving around as the. You know, what what we're right. And the real problem they out. have
0: is you, you set these rules of the road for technology and technology companies. And then the technology changes by the time the rules come out. The companies that you were thinking of when you impose the rules are all gone. And through creative destruction, there's a whole new set of companies. And now you have to adjust the rules before the old rules are even really in effect. It's it's a question of speed, really. Uh, and they just don't seem to have the speed. And that's what Zatko was saying yesterday. And, it, of course, in addition to just the raw money and the resources and the people and all the rest of it. I mean You were
3: you weren't able to stop by the, the White House yes, White House yesterday for the Inflation no. Reduction Act party, were you? you were no, you, uh, you weren't invited. I heard that
0: James Taylor was there, though. I heard he was. I heard I James heard. Taylor made an appearance. Yeah, he, he he did, he
3: did. Okay, all right. We had that going for us. Thanks, Amen.
4: SoftBank is reportedly considering the launch of a third vision fund as it tries to start a new chapter following the poor performance of its two earlier funds. The Wall Street Journal says that the firm would probably use its own cash. SoftBank is reportedly also weighing putting additional money into its vision fund, too, instead of starting a new fund. That second fund is now worth 19 percent less than the investment that went into it um obviously employees there would like to see this happen because it's a way of resetting the clock you get to start charging fees again uh, without having to make up for all the lousy performance you've had to that point so yeah but if it's your own for the, money
5: it's a different story that's just it
4: if it's your own money it's so, not for employees going into this it's just I'm well, not look, everybody wants to start a new fund every time they've had a lousy performance because you get, can't get back to the point of measurement until you make up for the losses that
5: are there. But to me, the question is if you're a shareholder of SoftBank. Because we're talking about SoftBank money there's a publicly traded company.
4: Which I didn't entirely understand, so SoftBank it, money. Coming if you're, to this, you're so effectively is, taking
5: SoftBank money as a publicly traded company, you either have to take... It's not
4: SoftBank money, then, if it's publicly traded. It's the investors' money there, And so too. then the
5: question is, right, it, it's, it's the balance sheet of the company. Right. And the question is, do you take that balance sheet, and is this the moment where you know there is an argument to be made, given that the stock market is down right now. No, no, <laughs> that actually that this is <laughs> no, no that if you were if you were going to invest, this actually would be a more opportune time. But to don't do ask this to make up for the losses that we've already made on your, your behalf. Um, The question is about, do you start it as a separate fund? Do you go back and try to double down on your current fund? For insiders, I
4: get why you want to start on uh, a separate fund. And and the question of whether he would put that money in SoftBank 2, the Vision Fund 2, also is kind of convoluted because he put a lot of money into that, but it wasn't his money. It was SoftBank's money. If it goes down, he has to repay them. So he does have some, some incentives himself for putting the money into the second fund because then he would not have to necessarily pay back the money to SoftBank.
5: I, I, too complicated for me to understand. I, I mean, I ju-
4: this is just from reading the journal story this morning. Right. This. My
5: understanding is that it would be, so- be SoftBank's balance sheet. There was some SoftBank balance sheet in the first two funds. So you're effectively, you're just doubling down. But he down. had
4: some personal, he had personally, he
5: put, not he, his
4: own money. Because he, he owns it, a it, mas-
5: massive stake in SoftBank.
4: But I think he also personally said that if it didn't come back, if there were losses there, he would have to put some of his money into it. So I think there were some questions to that. At least that's the illusion from The Wall Street Journal today okay. in reading that story.
1: Next on Squawk Pod, should members of Congress be able to trade individual stocks? California Democrat Ro Khanna told us this in February.
3: I'm actually for banning uh, stock trading and uh, I've never traded stocks and support a ban on members of Congress uh, not, and not trading stocks.
1: Now, The New York Times investing stock trading the entirely legal trades that have raised a lot of eyebrows. And we'll talk to the journalist digging into it, The New York Times' Kate Kelly.
2: Ro Khanna's family members made him the single biggest filer that we found. He, His family members traded 10,500 times in the course of our three-year period. And he had, as a result, a ton of conflicts with his committee assignments.
5: This is Squawk Pod. Good morning, and welcome back to Squawk Box, right here at the Nasdaq Market Site. You're watching CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Let's talk about another story. It's actually on the front page of today's New York Times, uh, right here. You yeah, see it uh, now. The latest. It's a uh, lot of pay for them story yesterday about uh, the congressional <laughs> stock trading lost um, mess that we've been talking Bad about day. on the show for a very long time. Uh, the report uh, tracks tens of thousands of trades from members of Congress and their families. They found that 97 current senators or representatives reported buying or selling stocks that conflicted with their work or congressional committees. Joining us right now is one of the authors of the investigation, an old friend of the program, Kate Kelly, of course, from the New York Times and a CNBC contributor. Kate, congratulations on the story. Uh, Let's sort of walk through the details here of just how bad it is. And, And most importantly, there's the perception of bad, which is to say perception of conflict, And then there's, of course, the issue of real conflict. And I'm curious what you found in terms of the distinction between the both of those.
2: Well, first of all, Andrew, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk about this analysis. Um, I think I have to say up front, I mean, we did not find anybody that we know was insider trading. If we had, we would have said so clearly. And, uh, you know, in this case, what we're looking at is a lot of perceptual conflicts And, you know, some situations, uh, Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Mike Kelly comes to mind that have been investigated by congressional ethics officers and referred to the Committee on Ethics um, for further questions and further review. So, you know, there are some transactions that have raised eyebrows, but for the most part what we did was take a look at the combination between a congressman or senators committee assignments. and the stocks and sectors that they or their immediate family members were trading that a reasonable person could argue dovetail with those committee assignments. So in other Mm -hmm. words, if you're on the Armed Services Committee and you're trading Raytheon and Northrop Grumman, that might reasonably be seen to be a potential conflict because you could be in possession of non-public information occasionally or even regularly.
5: What percentage of the folks who you identified as doing this said to you, you know what, it wasn't me. It, I didn't do the trading myself. I use a I use an outside firm that does all of this. I, it's a completely hands-off situation or I have a spouse that did this, uh, but they do that professionally and so it's a different situ- I mean how how what kind of explanations did you hear and which ones were believable to you and which ones weren't?
2: We got a large percentage of people saying my broker or my spouse does this without my knowledge. Um, there was a small handful that said, I do this, I own it. I think further restrictions are ridiculous. Uh, Steve Cohen, Democrat of Tennessee, had that tone. Um, Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama, had a little bit of that tone. Uh, But most people, the vast majority, I should say Tuberville trades through a broker, but he thinks further restrictions are quote unquote ridiculous. I'm just saying most people uh, said their broker is empowered to do this and they have no knowledge of it.
5: So we've talked, for example, of Rokana. On this broadcast about this issue, he always uh, sort of refers and says, "Not me, somebody else." Um, did, was there anybody on this list who said, "Yeah, let's let's change the law"?
2: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the the potential law that we featured in the story is called the Trust in Congress Act, and this is sponsored by Abigail Spanberger, Democrat of Virginia. But she has, at last check, sixty seven co sponsors, including a number of Republicans. So that's that's a decent chunk of people who say everybody should either divest before they start service in earnest. I mean, you can wait until after you win your election and you're sworn in, but like in pretty short order, you have to either divest or put your assets in a qualified blind trust. And there are some 10, 12 uh, different bills floating around the Senate and the Congress with various approaches to this issue. Um, and you might be surprised by the range of sort of political thinkers that sponsor these. Josh Hawley has sponsored a bill, Ben Sass. Um, And then you have moderates like Spanberger. You also have Elizabeth Warren who has co-sponsored a bill. Actually, I think this is the only one that was co-introduced by a Democrat and a Republican. Her partner is Steve Daines. So there seems to be, anecdotally speaking, a lot of support and even quantitatively speaking, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 members out of the 535 who have actually attached their names to some legislation.
5: So you think if you're going to handicap this, you actually think something's going to get done here?
2: I think it's questionable. I mean, as you know, the clock is running out on this Congress and there's a lot on their plates. Um, Midterm elections are going to be a huge time suck. Um, There are compromise efforts ostensibly going on in both chambers. Zoe Lofgren has been asked by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to put together a democratic sort of compromise bill. Um, that would take a number of issues and address them, not just sort of the qualified blind trust idea, which is in the Spanberger bill, but some other enforcement mechanisms, uh, closing the gaps of reporting mechanisms. I mean, to bring that to life for you, Andrew, if you have a relatively large trade, you report that as between $1 million and $5 million of value. <laughs> you could drive a truck through that. So as a constituent or a journalist or someone that's interested in transparency, you want more details than that. So they're looking at issues like that. But it's unclear that any of this. The folks
5: who said the folks who told you there's just no way I want to trade. I got to trade. I need to trade. Did they say, well, I just I wouldn't take this job if I wasn't allowed to trade. What was What was the argument to you?
2: Well, there is a school of thought that you're going to reduce the amount of talent that's going to come to the hill if you put these restrictions on i don't know if that's true or not certainly the senate is a place where you have wealthier people um it seems to me one of the toughest areas here there are two of them one is if you're actually married to an investor which is the case with nancy and paul pelosi uh tina smith of minnesota she's a democrat She's married to a guy who is a professional medical device stock investor. He once was named the Wall Street Journal best on the street. And she's been in the Senate only for a few years. So the idea that your spouse would have to quit their career um, in order for you to do a public service job that, while extremely important, may only have two years of job security, I think is tough. I think the other one is the Rokana example. Rokana's family members made him the single biggest filer that we found. He His family members traded 10,500 times in the course of our three-year period, which was calendar 2019, 20, 20, and 21. And he had, as a result, a ton of conflicts with his committee assignments just because of sheer volume and because basically they're trading the S&P 500. So in his case, his wife and young children have assets uh, from his wife's side that she came into the marriage with in 2015, and they're traded by outside brokers, apparently without Rokana's Khanna's wife, Ritu Khanna's uh, direction. So His view is that's ethical. I'm certainly not involved. My wife's not even directly involved. It's a diversified trust. But if you say that this can't happen, we'll of course comply with the law. So you could see how there are some tough dinner time conversations around that. But it must be said, Andrew, two thirds of Americans polled on this issue want to see literal bans on individual stock trading. I think the public view on this is pretty unambiguous.
5: Uh, Kate Kelly, uh, great reporting. I'm not hopeful that anything happens. I've always thought the easiest way to handle this is for the SEC to actually take it up, but they don't want to take it up because guess who manages their budget? These guys. See you later, Kate. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. From a flat tire in the city
6: to a dead battery on a distant drive,
1: That's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you think about Squawk Pod. You can leave a rating or a brief review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.